Welcome to Service Headline News. I'm your host, Marty Smith, and I'm joined by our lazy historian, Eric Perot. <laughs> Standing on his feet. <laughs> and our man in the closet, Jake Wall. <laughs> Who stands for no man. <laughs> and we're here to bring you the latest headlines and updates pertinent to all servicemen and women. So sit back, get informed, and have a laugh as the Swearing In Podcast presents Service Headline News. Gentlemen, it's good to hear from you again. Right on. Glad to be here. Yeah. Your week go good? Always nice. Or are the week went well? Got to got to got to see a couple buddies of mine over the weekend, had a few beers with a couple guys named Marty and Jake. Yeah, that was that was a good time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how long did you loiter in that barbecue place? I I don't know. Two and a half. I think that I think that girl left changed clothes and then came back and worked her second shift by, by the <laughs> yeah. time we left so yeah. uh yeah. that was good time. so much so scott had time to get seconds uh, <laughs> right. know, oh, that's it. More turkey. <laughs> second meal you know i've never i've never it. sat in a in a restaurant you know just shooting the shit kind of session with a man like scott westfield or Westfall, who had more props for his stories than I've ever seen in my life. He had graphs, he had <laughs> charts, <laughs> he had pictures, he had video, and that was I just a bullshit expect, session. Was, I would expect no less from that guy. That was impressive. I come back no from less. walking in on the priest in the bathroom to find Scott standing in front of the easel <laughs> with a whiteboard. I was like, what uh, but a shout out to Broken Bones Barbecue down in uh, Monument, Colorado. It was good food. Was right good on. Food. That was good. Okay, uh, on to this date in military history. So the date is the 2nd of May, 2011. I'm not going to ask you what it is because Jake always spilled the beans. But <laughs> on May 2nd, 2011, Osama bin Laden, the founder and head of the Islam. Islamist militant group Al-Qaeda was killed in Pakistan shortly after 1 a.m. by U.S. Navy SEALs of the U.S. Navy Special Warfare Development Group uh, or SEAL Team 6. What was special about that operation, Jake? Well, Cairo was actually securing the perimeter so that people could go in and take Osama bin Laden. Now, we potentially may have a whole bunch of listeners. Who don't know who Cairo was. Yeah. Cairo the Wonder Dog. Yep. <laughs> the modern day freaking jump certified everything dog. Um that was my nomination for the for the all military dog guy. So So for those of you who are who are new to the podcast, we do a all military selection and about a month ago we had the all military dog. So we chose mm-hmm. three dogs. Uh, my dog, Sergeant Stubby, won, rightfully so. Uh, Jake's dog, Cairo. Cairo didn't have rank, right, Jake? Uh, no. Yeah, of course no, not. They stopped awarding arbitrary things to animals. Or maybe it yeah. just wasn't valiant enough to get a rank. <laughs> maybe that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah Jake's was. dog was Cairo, uh, who was yeah. on that raid to get Osama <clears throat> So, yep. That's impressive. Pretty cool. I didn't realize the date was May 2nd. So, oh, no, sir. It was cool. 
So that was uh, our day in military history. No, I was just going to say that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know, hell, that's ten years, right? That was ten years yeah. we were looking for that dude. So now, did we get his sons before or after? Uh, Am I confusing I that know. with Hussein? I think you're yeah confusing Hussein's sons were a lot more. Because um, Hussein did a, I, I always get confused with it uh, when the, when they found Hussein or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah. and he looked like uh, uh, who was that porn star? Uh, the <laughs> Ron Jeremy. Yeah, Ron Jeremy. Because he's all. Ooh, it looks like he was all drunk and high and wet. <laughs> yeah, I always thought. Oh, that's it's Ron Jeremy. Sliding. That looks like Ron Jeremy right there. You sure they captured uh, Hussein? That looks like Ron Jeremy. Might not be the right guy, guys. (laughs) Maybe they just reused the footage. Yeah. (laughs) All right, on to the news. Um, So we've had a couple discussions about why, uh, you know, there's no exact reason why recruiting is down, right? But there there are a couple indicators that point towards that. Unfortunately, these first two stories may be some of those indicators why people aren't joining the military. So they're not great stories, but they are interesting. Um, our first story is from the Dallas Morning News. Uh, the headline is, a national study examines, quote-unquote, mystery Gulf War illness while veterans wait for relief. So <laughs> uh, I remember going in the, uh, uh, or I remember in my unit, I was told a guy had Gulf. I think they were calling it syndrome back then. Gulf syndrome. War, yeah, Gulf, Gulf, War, Gulf syndrome, War syndrome, right? And I was like, okay, I don't. I what am I? I don't know what to do. He goes, well, he may have to leave for testing and stuff. I said, oh, okay, all right. Um, and to be honest, when I was in, there was so it was so poorly communicated that it almost had the hint of these guys are kind of faking it. I and I, there was nothing that ever said that officially. <gasps> But it had the well, kind there were, of. There was also a ton of. Um, there was no. You're right. There was no real effects on the individual, but there was that whole rash of birth defects of all yeah. the guys that were having kids. Yeah, and guys were back. and guys were fatigued, and he was like, ah, he's just trying to get out yep. of stuff, you know. And it's it's it. But uh, and there was enough doctors who spoke out that this isn't a real thing. It's just in their head. So bad on them sounds very similar to how COVID is now right uh where you have two oh, yeah. differing medical opinions and whichever one gets there first is the yeah. one you kind of believe well anyway uh 30 years after the gulf war 30 years after the gulf war the national institutes of health and department of veterans affair have launched a five-year study to understand the chronic symptoms of what's now called gulf war illness I didn't realize it, mm. they changed the name. So maybe that name is uh, a, a more of an acknowledgement that, hey, yeah, something's going on. We won't call right. it syndrome anymore. We'll call it illness. Uh, mm. Dr. Robert Haley, a professor of medicine and epidemiology at UT Southwestern Medical Center, has been researching Gulf War illness since the 1990s. Haley said from the very beginning, this was called a mystery disease because nobody could agree on what the cause was. Haley published a paper last year identifying sarin gas, a nerve agent that attacks the brain Mm. that was detected in Iraq during the war 
as a potential cause of Gulf War illness. <clears throat> Haley hopes the NIH and VA's national study will ultimately lead to treatments for Gulf War veterans, the youngest of whom are now 50. Uh, <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Uh, in the 90s, uh, Haley was invited to a meeting by uh, philanthropist Ross Perot. And Perot uh, was saying that he knew a lot of people that were coming to him with illnesses. Uh, and it seems like the, uh, they, they were saying that they were experiencing brain fog, memory problems, trouble breathing, and more other little symptoms. So Perot asked that Haley run this study on the vets. He spent the rest huh. of his career researching the disease. Cool. He found that Gulf War veterans had similar symptoms that were significant enough to constitute an illness, that the root of the illness seemed to lie in the brain, and that the main risk factor seemingly causing the disease was exposure to environmental pesticides or low levels of nerve gas during the war. He did so with funding from donors like Dallas or from Ross Perot and also former Texas Senator Kay Bailey Hutchinson. Almost a year after Haley's paper, Haley published his paper last year. So after a year after he published it, the NIH and VA launched their study of Gulf War veterans. Gulf War veterans can now enroll in the study, which will investigate how Gulf War illness looks in the brain and body to lay the groundwork for future treatments. Anthony Hardy, who served in the U.S. Army during the Gulf War, said the new study is important and encourages veterans to sign up. Hardy's group, now this is horrible, Hardy's group, Veterans for Common Sense and Vietnam Veterans of America, found that the VA rejected 90%, 90% of undiagnosed disability claims from Gulf War veterans from 2002 to the beginning of 2018. 90%. Marty, God. you and I discussed this, and it, it, it goes back to actually sounding like Agent Orange in the Vietnam War. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like this generation's you know, Agent Orange, right? Yeah, it didn't have any in influence on what was going on until after the war and people were sick and right. they determined that it was a factor. And part of that, part of that was uh, they brought it home and then it didn't do anything for years and then all of a sudden they got cancer. And there's nothing yeah, that yeah. they could turn to to go to the VA and go, hey, I think you guys gave me cancer. And they're like, prove it. And they, they, they got nothing to prove right. it for. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's the same thing here for basically 30 years. And now they're finally doing a yeah. study. But they caution the results from a five, it's a five-year study. They're just starting now. So results from a five-year study won't be published for a while after the study. And Hardy said veterans like he, hmm. like him have been waiting decades decades for help and relief so you know it's interesting how ross perot got involved was he he wasn't prior military at all was he no but i think he, uh what uh, i know he ran for president was he ever a senator was he in politics at all or was he just an independent guy yeah he was in politics and stuff like that he was actually a, a proponent of that, that kind of stuff yeah for a while there he said a lot of people oh, i didn't know that a lot of people in his state kept coming to him saying Please help, please help. So, yeah. So, I think it's all that started in Texas, and now they're finally NIH is like, well, I guess COVID's done. We'll uh, we'll move on to doing the study on Gulf War. <laughs> yeah. So, 
okay, so on to another lousy story. And this is from the Lost <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I hate to start the show. Another horrible story. It is another horrible story. Um yeah. it's from the Las Vegas Review Journal. So veterans of nuclear test sites seek compensation. Okay. Well, that seems kind of an uh, innocuous headline. Um, but it's an interesting story. So Las Vegas resident Dave Crete, I think that's how you say his name, C-R-E-T-E. Dave Crete served in the Air Force's 4461st Security Police Squadron from 1983 to 1989 at the Tonopah Test Range, a part of the Nevada Test and Training Range. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's located about 160 miles northwest of Las Vegas. Have you been out to that range? Or do you know where it is? I yeah. don't know where Silver Flag was at Nellis. I wasn't aware of any other range. So I, I, I know where Tonopah uh, is. Oh, you do? They fly They fly around there on red, during red flags. Oh, and stuff oh, like oh okay, okay. So Tonopah Test Range was also the site for military airdrops and cratering tests with conventional mm-hmm. explosives that was part of a program called Plowshare, which investigated non-military... <laughs> which investigated non-military uses of nuclear explosions, according to an environmental assessment from 1975. What could possibly you use non-militarily for a nuclear explosion? No. I'll let you think about that for a second. Yeah. <laughs> Deforestation, yeah, that would do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so I think... Tonopah, if you ever see those old videos of the nuclear explosion and then you see the military guys with their glasses on dug in in the trenches. Yeah, yeah. Like in that was at Tonopah, I think. Oh. I always wondered what was the lifespan of those guys who were in that photo? Oh, they're they way too close. Nipples within a month. <laughs> yeah. oh, my God. God. <laughs> I mean to have the for everybody. To have the cloud in the background and those guys in the foreground with their protective dark glasses on. Yeah, but I mean, that's the thing. Like, you look back at that right now and you're like, those guys were so dumb. Like, come on. (laughs) Right, right. And you know for a fact we're doing something just as dumb right now. That'll be revealed to our kids. The future will be like, man, those guys were dumb. I don't believe they did that. Like I said, I'm telling you, my my prediction in life is that somebody's going to run a study 10 years from now, and they're going to go, hey, remember all that sunblock we told you to put on way back when? Well, that's <laughs> cancer causing. <laughs> and people are like, what? That was actually causing cancer. You told us to put on yeah. 50, 100, as much as we could. They're like, yeah, sorry about that, buddy. <laughs> that was yeah. Yeah. So I'm waiting for that. I thought we were doing justice to you. Right, right. Uh, Okay, so Dave Crete and his his unit provided operational security for the country's top secret F-117A stealth aircraft at the Tonopah test range, which the government didn't even acknowledge existed until 1988. Uh, Crete attended a reunion in 2016 with eight of his fellow veterans who had served in the 1980s at the Nevada test site, when they noticed many of them had similar health problems. Six of them had fatty tumors called lipomas on their bodies, and Crete himself 
had to get a lump the size of a grapefruit removed from his back about 10 years ago. Many also wow. have pulmonary issues or some type of cancer. When they worked at the Nevada Test and Training Range, which covers 2.9 million acres of land, they say they were exposed to chemicals like plutonium, although they hadn't known it at the time because they were just security force guys. So they didn't tell them. <laughs> about, 40 year, <coughs> excuse me, about 40 years later, the veterans hope to be compensated for their medical bills. Officially, he said, he and his squadron were not there. It was highly classified, so compensating the veterans and their medical bills would require acknowledging they were there in the first place. Uh, See? Are you kidding me? Yeah. So when veterans try to file a claim uh, through VA, they got denied because they couldn't prove they were exposed to radiation. The records for that period of time are, quote-unquote, data masked or obscured, he said. Hey, I got wow. cancer. I was like, well, like I can't read through these big black magic marker lines through your record, so I guess you don't. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess you don't. <laughs> Jeez. You don't. Nope. That's uh, not military's cancer. That's oh, your cancer. <laughs> <laughs> That's rough. Oh, the US government finally admitted Tonopate Strange was used to test ballistic and non-nuclear features features of atomic testing which caused radiological and chemical contamination of soils. Uh, in 1963, a series called the Roller Coaster Test was carried out to study the spread of plutonium from the non-nuclear detonation of nuclear weapons. Uh, plutonium releases what is known as alpha particles, which are easily blocked from the skin. But breathing it in, in even small amounts, can cause adverse health effects, according to the National Nuclear Security Administration. Well, guess what's prominent in Tonopah test range? Dust storms. Dust storms are common dust. in the spring, and strong dust devils rise up during the summer. So, the most, uh, you know, the, mm. the worst thing it can do is breathe it in. Well, here comes your plutonium dust devil. Uh, yeah. We were, we were, <laughs> the guy, Randall Groves, who's a 60 year old Dallas resident who also worked at the Nevada test site, said, We were never told that we were being exposed to anything. Of course not. Why would they tell you? It's secret. It's it's need to know. Your security forces. You don't yeah. need to know. So yeah. Or or once again, they were just so oblivious that they didn't even bother knowing. I, it could you know? be. Yeah. I mean, like, that, I, that's oh, true. That yeah. probably does do things. Right. Right. No. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, being a a twenty year old in the military, uh, how much are you absorbing knowledge wise? Right. So, so no bad intention is what you're saying, Jake. Just occurred. We weren't aware. Well, oh, I think there. I think I don't think there was I, bad intentions. I think it was I unintended. I don't think it was bad intention. I don't think it was malicious. Yeah, yeah. But okay. now that it's like now that it's coming out, they're like, oh crap. <laughs> it could be it's like trying not to acknowledge this. <laughs> but well, here's a good thing, uh, Dave Creek. The guy we talked about at the beginning of the story, he's pushing Representative Mark Am Amadai, I think that's how you say it, Republican from Nevada, to introduce federal legislation that seeks to compensate veterans who are exposed to toxic chemicals. The bill is still being drafted, but hopefully they can push something like that through. The legislation, now get this one, 
The legislation would fill in the holes that an executive order signed by President Bill Clinton in 2000. President Clinton signed an executive order uh, which compensated civilians and Department of Energy employees who worked on the country's nuclear weapons. But it did not cover military Department of Defense active duty members or contractors. <laughs> Whoopsie. We kind of overlooked we overlooked everyone else at that base. So sorry about that. Yeah. So he's pushing to get some legislation. Hopefully they can and, and hopefully they can get some take you know, get that taken care of. Get less men. Yeah. All right. Are you ready for some good news here? <laughs> this is a good one. I like it. Last oh, week yeah. uh, last week we were talking about the best ranger competition. Right. Well, uh, I guess a week before that, they had run the international sniper competition. So out at was uh, that was that part of the ranger stuff? No, no, separate, totally. Or separate. Is that, so this was totally a, like a okay. whole week before, and this was held at Fort Benning. Uh, but the but an Army National Guard team wins this year's international sniper competition. Uh, a trio of Army National Guard soldiers put the marksmanship skills on display taking home the top spot at the 2023 International Sniper Competition held April 10th through the 13th at Fort Benning. Team leader Sergeant First Class Eric Vargas of the New Mexico Army National Guard, along with Staff Sergeants Benjamin Cotton and Alan Smith, both of the Arkansas Army National Guard, bested 34 other teams representing different branches of the U.S. military as well as snipers from... Australia, Canada, Denmark, Estonia, Germany, Ireland, Netherlands, Sweden, and the United Kingdom. Holy cow. And these three National Guard guys beat them all. Pretty badass, man. That's cool. Uh, we, we talked about that. How often do they have to work? They're focusing on their craft constantly. <laughs> constantly. Well, you know, what it, you know what it is, Eric? They're probably like, oh, you guys are so good a shot. All we're going to do is just have you shoot all weekend, right? Kind of mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, I don't know, playing uh, football in another country or something like that. They're like, where's Perot? <laughs> and he's like, oh, he's on the practice field. It's like, God damn that guy. <laughs> yep. Okay. All right. You got I like that like callback to your shooting military <laughs> pass there, Eric. Oh, you got me there. Don't Eric's you like, I'm not working. on these guard snipers. I'm not working. We'll I'm playing football. Crap about you. <laughs> and and for those yeah. for those listening, Eric, but it wasn't flag football. It was full contact, right? Yeah, it was. In where was that? That was it in was. Turkey, right? When you were in Turkey, that was in Turkey. Yep. So uh, full contact. Full. Contact. Who needs a gun? Stand up <laughs> when you can play football. That is true. Ah, it's all good. Right. You can hike a pigskin between your legs. It's not like <laughs> nobody one of us would have chosen it differently. If that was an option, I'd be like, heck yeah. Yeah, oh, I, right? I, I I say that completely out of jealousy. I would have done yeah. what Eric did, yeah. or if they're like, Oh, I'm that good of a sniper, okay, I'll just go snipe all day. I I would have done it in a heartbeat <laughs> too. Yeah. So it's just envy yeah. and jealousy out of me. So I, I, I admit that. I admit it. Um but all three of these uh, guys on the National Guard, they're part of the all-guard marksmanship team. So it's composed of some of the best oh. marksmen from across the various state National Guards, and all have competed before uh, in another sniper competition uh, and another international sniper competition as organized by the 
National Guard. It's called the Winston V. Wilson Sniper Competition. So uh, here's here's just an example. Uh, for three days straight, the snipers were tested on their shooting skills, physical endurance, and problem-solving abilities across a variety of scenarios and with multiple weapon systems. There's a really good video on this, but it's nothing but music. And I didn't think that would make the best podcast for us to describe. Oh, he's carrying a rucksack. Oh, he's shooting a gun. Oh, he's shooting a pistol. Uh, but I'll put a, I'll put a I would, link in. I there. would make the pew pew noise. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, the military is really slick on their production of these videos, and it has all this rocking music over it. So yeah, I couldn't even good. hear your pew pews. But I'll put a link to it in the description so people can, <laughs> so, so people can see it. <laughs> Uh, so for three days and they had to do, uh, shooting skills, physical endurance, problem solving abilities across a variety of scenarios and with multiple weapon systems. So I saw them shooting, uh, not only their sniper rifles, but also M16 also, I guess it was nine mil. Uh, I mean, but it didn't look like the SIGs. It almost looked like the old Berettas. So, but, hmm. uh, the first event was a stalking exercise, which required the teams to infiltrate at night and continue movement into the day. Um, other events tested the ability of the snipers to think and act quickly. You'd have the team leader have to assemble basically a jigsaw puzzle, and then that would reveal a target des uh, designation. Then we would have to identify the target and engage. Uh, on another one, <clears throat> they would have to solve a math equation, uh, the answer to which would give them the correct target to engage. Other exercises involved the snipers shooting targets from multiple firing positions, urban environments, time scenarios. In one event, for instance, the teams were presented with weighted ammunition boxes before a ruck march. The less weight they chose to carry, the fewer rounds of ammunition they would have to shoot. That's just a mind screw right there, right? It's like, well, you could take, yeah, the, you could take the lighter ones, cool. but you'll have 20 less shots. And I'm like, oh, God. So that's how that, I mean, that's that would be kind of neat to watch, you know, uh, and the video is pretty good. It gives a pretty good representation of uh, what they had to go through um, that Staff Sergeant Smith said there's always a physical stressor ailment and very little sleep. So over two and a half days, I think they did it. Um, yeah, not getting a lot of sleep and humping and then having to calm your heart and your breathing and take a yeah. shot. That's pretty badass. That's pretty cool. Guys, that kind of training right there is going to, to that's going to ensure our, our future. And when it comes to war, that kind of stuff right there is going to ensure our future. That we will not be beat well, in a conflict. Well, I wish it, I wish because would, of that. I, I wish it would extend down to more uh you know, I wish they give you more rounds to go to the range to practice instead of just like twice a year, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many times you you were security forces, Eric? How many times you get to go to the range? Well, we had to qualify every six months. Okay, so twice a year, right? Twice a year. Yeah. But, but when we were, you know, I told you we did, you know, emergency service team stuff. We'd get to go and expend some rounds, especially when it was forecasted for those events. So all the emergency service teams throughout the Air Force, they had plenty of ammo to go expend. So we got to we got we got to shoot more than your routine cop at the gate and stuff. I remember being part of a uh, space unit Buckley. And I wanted to take our guys just cause I had army time and these guys are all space babies. I was like, let's go to the range. 
right? You guys haven't done that since basic. So, and they're like, yeah, yeah, great idea. You know, that's a good morale event. Let's go qualify at the rage. So I go and I talk to security forces at Buckley in Colorado. And uh, they're like, yeah, you can borrow weapons. You know, well, well, you clean them and you give them back. We have no problem with it. Yeah. And they're like, great. It's all set up. And they're like, we can't give you any ammo. They're like, what? (laughs) <laughs> it's like we only get so much we're not going to give it to you you know we only get yeah. so much for the year and so that that whole idea flamed out right because because ammo cuts are ammo i mean uh budget is budget ammo cuts are one of the first and easiest ones to do yeah you know? which makes us less effective as a fighting force but eh, you know we're shoot we're shooting missiles we'll never get down to rifles again so Hopefully. No. But if we do, I want to be with those three National Guardsmen. No doubt. Yeah, exactly. I'll just spot for you guys. Don't worry. I'll just spot for you. You guys need coffee? <laughs> I'm going to be your runner for sure. Yep. What do you need? <laughs> I'll I'll drive you to the bar tonight. Don't, don't worry. I'll, I'll make sure you get home safe. <laughs> yep. Just keep me with you. Uh, okay. It's time once again for our all-military selection so much like the nfl slicker all pro or all nfl team we are selecting our all military team uh should i go over our previous yeah i'll go over our previous just for people who haven't listened so our previous selections are our all military battleship was the uss new jersey eric's and that was eric's choice um yes sir our all military tank was the m4 sherman that was, yeah. that was Jake's. Uh, our all-military fighter jet was the F-15 Eagle. Another Eric. Go Air Force. Another Eric. Go Air Force. <laughs> our all-military <laughs> rifle was the Spencer rifle. By me. Thank you very much. <laughs> our all-military Air Force, all Air Force general was Hap Arnold. Of course. I still, there you go. I still, that's a little <laughs> under dispute. But it made up for it with yeah, our, yeah, all, still debatable. <laughs> our all military dog was Sergeant Stubby, who was my selection from World War One. They made a gas mask for him. Ah, how much more do you need? Uh, I'm still thinking old Douglas should have been there. I don't know. Our all <laughs> military animal was not Douglas. It was Staff Sergeant Reckless, the horse. Yeah, reckless. Presented by Jake, our all-military machine gun was the M2, of course. Uh, Our all-military propeller bomber was the B17, of course. And tonight we are doing our all-military Marine General. Yep, continuing along the theme of nominating stuff we have no idea. No idea. (laughs) <laughs> and, 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 General. No idea. And, and, and if you're new listening to the show there is no scientific rhyme or reason how we make our selections or how we no. even get somebody to enter the contest so so i will go I like i'm going first all right uh, okay just right. because i think no you go last because you won last time with the v17 Oh, I, it's it's going to be so anticlimactic if I go last. That's your rule. All right, that's my rule. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. 
Who's that? Right, Eric. Heads or tails, Jake? Uh, tails. I win heads. Sorry. <laughs> okay. You should have just taken it. You that's that's <laughs> how our that's how our selections <laughs> But you played along perfect, Jake. You played along so well. Oh, it worked really well. Wait, two out, wait, two out of three. <laughs> you should have interrupted me before I even said it. I'll choose. Uh, nope, you lose. It's the other one. <laughs> I like speed. We went with speed. All right, guys, I'm going to go first. I am going for the Marines. Marine Lieutenant General Lewis Chesty Puller, oh. a Marines Marine. Uh, okay, guys, a bona fide badass leatherneck with the scars to prove it. Oh. The man was not only a badass Marine, but he was a hell of a leader. This author is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> lead by example. I'm not even reading. I'm quoting here occasionally. I got to put the data out there. Well, reading okay. is kind of a form of quote. Come on. I suppose. All right, yep. So a badass, okay? The guy led from the front, all right? Yep. There is a tradition that Marine officers do not eat before their enlisted men and it was due to Chesty Puller because he felt all his men ate before him. This is a guy that we're not even talking about his war feats yet, taking care of his men. All right. All right. So Chesty was born 1898, West Point, Virginia. Okay. So that's where he started. That's where he was born. Goes right into the Marine Corps. And here's why he's a legend. I'm going to make it very quick. Okay. Fuller got his famous nickname because of his big thrust-out chest. The myth was that the original had been shot away, and the new chest was a steel plate. <laughs> oh, that's a good—I never knew that one, yeah. Others state that Chesty was an old Marine expression, meaning cocky. A few claim that he developed the chest from shouting commands above the noise of battle, all right? Most decorated Marine. Fuller was the most decorated Marine in history and the only Marine to receive five Navy crosses. He led his Marines in some of the bloodiest battles of World War II, including Guadalcanal and Palau, the names of which forever speak of the Marines' exploits and sacrifices. In Korea, his first Marine division was, uh, he was the leader of the landing in John wow. on September 15th, 1950, okay. earning his silver star in the process. Shit. He was given the Distinguished Service Cross from the Army for action from November 29th to December 5th of the same year and his fifth Navy cross for action during December 5th through the 10th at the battle of Chozon, oh, the reservoir. Jesus. Yeah. This guy was everywhere. Um, he served, uh, it was during the battle when he made the famous quote, we've been looking for the enemy for some time. Now we finally found him. We're surrounded. And that simplifies things. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Fuller was commissioned as a second attendant during World War one. As the war wound down, he was put on inactive status and given the rank of corporal. So both enlisted and officer. Puller's legend preceded him and served him well, leading young men. His men knew that he had their backs because he had humped through the jungles, endured the harshest of conditions, and been wounded in battle just like them. He never asked his men to do something that he wouldn't do. Some say that his straightforward attitude while serving him well in combat and respect from his men caused him to be passed over for receiving the nation's highest award, the Medal of Honor. 
All right, Brigadier General 1951. That was after Chosan, so. Okay. Yeah, he led him in a landing at Inchon, September 1950, earned his 5th Navy Cross at Chosan Reservoir. Uh, that action also earned him a promotion to Brig Brigadier General in 1951 and Major General in 1953. Yeah, there you go. Uh, in 1954, he assumed command of the 2nd Marine Division at Camp Lejeune, but was forced to retire a year later because of ill health. He died in 71. He lived a long life. So guy was a badass man. I'm telling Lewis you. B. Chesty Puller. Here's, here's his most important and lasting contribution. The fact that the Marine Corps mascot, the Bulldog, is constantly named Chesty. Oh. We we are literally on like Chesty 52 or whatever it is. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We're on Chesty 14. Wow, that's Corporal pretty... Chesty 14, the 14th, is the official Marine Corps mascot. And it is named directly as a as on as an honor to Chesty Puller. It's interesting. Uh, Today's Congress is still talking about upgrading one of his Navy crosses to the Medal of Honor. He's the only guy that's been um, in that many conflicts and that much valor and was not awarded or even put in for the Medal of Honor. Okay. Close, but no cigar. <laughs> Unlike you, you may have the dark horse guy. here. Yeah, you may have the dark horse, Jake. All right, you said a Marine's Marine, blah, blah, blah. Okay. <laughs> Smedley Butler. Smedley. Born a Quaker, raised a Quaker. A couple of generations before, his grandparent, both his grandfathers fought in the Civil War, and they wow. were Quakers, so they gave up their pacifism. He was nicknamed the Fighting Quaker. He was in a commissioned in the Marines, lied about his age. At the age of 16, he got commissioned just to go in the Spanish-American War. All right? Wow. Wow. Missed at 16? It. At 16, he was commissioned as a lieutenant in the Marines, lied about his age, was going to fight in the Spanish-American War, and it didn't last long enough for him to get out of training and to go. Disappointed, he stayed in the Marines. Not long after that, he got to go fight in the Philippine-American War. What did he do? The most Marine Corps thing ever. <laughs> he got freaking blasted before they moved out and fought in the Philippines. He got blasted and got a che high chest, like neck to waistline. Eagle, globe, and anchor tattoo. Whoa, the Quaker did that? The Quaker, full chest piece. Oh, my God. Marine Corps, eagle, globe, and anchor tattoo. Really? That's pretty eight up. That's pretty pure, eight up. Pure Marine Corps fashion, savagely infected. Missed oh. the first couple of days of the war. Oh. No way. Yep. Yep. So he missed it. Oh, wow. Once he got back, however, he proceeded to, you say, kick all kinds of ass. In one engagement, 
one of his privates um, basically compound fractured his leg. Chesty, or not Chesty, um, Smedley. Sure, it was Chesty. Yeah, no, Smedley <laughs> grabbed him, drug him back to the trench, got a couple of his other, four of his other Marines to pick him up, and they all proceeded to carry him 14 miles back what? to the medical tent. Yeah. And this well, was, that wasn't just Smedley. This was World War One. It was not. This was the Philippine-American War. Oh, Philippine-American War. Okay. Jeez. Right? 14 the other four. Yeah, the other four guys got the Medal of Honor. He did not because he was an officer. He just got a promotion. Oh, oh geez. <laughs> so, as a result, there is the Boxer Rebellion in China. So they're like, well, Butler did good. Send him over to China. He, they're literally taking a hill on day one of his engagement in China. He gets shot in the chest oh. at long distance. <laughs> It just so happened to hit one of the metal buttons on his uniform and crush in a way that it didn't actually penetrate his chest. Wow. He carried wow. he carried that button with him for almost the remainder of his whole career. Jeez. As as a reminder. They won the Boxer Rebellion or they, they put down the insurgents in China. Um he went on the, a full campaign called the Banana Wars, which was wars all in South America, yeah, all, all South America, Central America. Yep. It turned out to be a sketchy financial, political thing. Like, but it was fighting in the Caribbean, fighting in Central America, uh, fighting in Panama Canal area, um, in Honduras. Jeez. He, yeah. So in Honduras, then he led one of the aggressions and like was really good at organizing these guys in Veracruz. He won, he got his first, he got his first medal of honor. Um, yeah, that's his first Eric first. <laughs> medal of honor. All right. Pretty hardcore, but it's not as cool. Kind of cool as his second medal of honor. Um, which was one in Haiti, 1915. So as Haiti traditionally does, every 10 years or so, they overthrow the government. Yeah. Right? Well, they're doing this that was, currently. Yep. It's a, it's a thing. It's a thing. It's just like, it's just like riot season in France. <laughs> yeah. Right, Somebody's right. going to riot during the right. summer months so they don't have to work. So either way, it's just a custom, I guess. Haiti. <laughs> so in one of these overthrowings of the government um smedley was leading 44 mounted marines as they were approaching one of the old french forts they were ambushed by 400 of the rebels Jeez. they it was coming on at night at nighttime way back in 1915 so they hunkered down and held their position overnight and fought off random um insurgents throughout the night sunrise comes up butler's like all right we're taking the attack to them and they freaking go and storm and chase everybody they oh, chase geez. everybody off they run out of the pits in three directions so that all the rebels were like holy crap what the hell's going on and they end up all fleeing they killed a bunch of them but they still all fled oh and, wow. and they chased them off 
a couple a month later he leads an attack on one of the final forts takes over the final fort um in less than 20 minutes or something like that with with his group killed over half the uh, the half the Haitian rebels in the fort was awarded the U.S. Medal of Honor and the Haitian Medal of Honor for his bravery and action during that war. That's an important decoration. Yeah. Well, don't worry, because in <laughs> World War One, later on in World War One, he will win more Navy. He will win the Navy Distinguished Service Medal. He will also win the Army Distinguished Service Medal. And you might poo-poo on this, but the French Order of the Black Star. Whoa, that's so, badass. Yeah. Yeah, it's so as good as the Haitian Medal of Honor. Yeah, oh, potentially. Oh, <laughs> right. So he's doing so good at this. And he's got his one star. He was the f- youngest Marine in history to be awarded uh, his, a general position. So he was awarded Brigadier General at the age of 37. 37? Yep. Hmm. So him, him and Lejeune were good friends, too. Yeah. So yeah. He's, he's flying. like he, he was second lieutenant at 16. He's Brigadier General by 37. And then he hits a long kind of a pause almost. So this may or may not be considered in his military history. He officially, the city of Philadelphia requested military help in stamping out organized crime. So (laughs) the president was like, hey, take Smedley. And so (laughs) Smedley goes on official leave, gets hired by the city of Pennsylvania. In the first week, what do you mean the city, the city of Pennsylvania? Or, sorry, the city of Philadelphia. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> city of Philadelphia. Sorry. That's a big city, um, Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, big, big city. Um, it's hired by the city of Philadelphia. In the first week, he goes on to raid and destroy 900 speakeasies. Oh, 900? Yeah. So the very next month, he goes on. He's like, well, that, that problem solved. So I'm going to go on and I'm going to fix the old whorehouse issue. And then after that, I'm going to stamp out uh, gambling. And then we're going to go on to political corruption. And he's just like constantly just ticking off and solving wow. these problems. And hey, you know after- what? Wasn't that against the Boston Comitatus Act? No, he was on leave. He's out. Uh, He's officially on leave from the military. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So, damn. Within two years, the politicians in Pennsylvania or Philly then go, All right, you're doing too much. Let's not go too far. (laughs) So, citing differences in management styles um, and his aggressive leadership tactics. They basically ask him to step down. So, <laughs> wow. however, in uh, Philadelphia, in City Hall, they have a plaque dedicating that building to him and his efforts towards cleaning up corruption. 
Then he goes back into the Marines <laughs> and finishes out his tour, gets his second star, and finishes out his tour as head of Quantico. After that, he goes on to, as, as a good majority of these military members do, he go, goes on to speak out against the government and basically say how all the banana wars were a racket. It was all out. The government cannot be trusted, and um, they're just out for money, and corporations are running the government. You know, so, Chesty Puller did the same thing, and so at the did, end of his career, so did Mike. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of those military people, and you just it, you just get ingrained and get to see just be, enough behind the curtain to be pissed off yep. and frustrated. You know, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it is amazing how many of those old guys were basically anti-war. Yeah, of course. Of course, yeah. if you see war you want to be yep. anti-war <laughs> definitely yep. you know? yeah for sure so, smedley butler two-time medal of honor recipient multiple wars uh first youngest ever brigadier general in the marine corps more importantly because of drinking and tattooing missed in military <laughs> movements full awesome. marine corps chest tattoo i think he was one uh, heck of an individual. Hmm. Well, I tell you, there, that's that's why I wanted to go first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyway, my nomination is General David Monroe Shoup. He was born in 1904, in 1904. He died in 1983. He was a general of the United States Marine Corps, who was awarded the Medal of Honor in World War II. He served as the 22nd Commandant of the Marine Corps, and after retiring, became one of the most prominent critics of the Vietnam War. So he was born in Battleground, Indiana. He attended the DePaul, it sounds like DePaul, but it's spelled DePaul, D-E-P-A-U-W, University, uh, where he was one of a hundred awarded the Edward Rector Scholarship, giving him full tuition. He majored in math. He opted to enroll in ROTC to offset his living expenses, and later recalled that this was the only reason he joined the military. <laughs> so he graduated from uh, the college in 1926. In 42, uh, Shoup was named as operations and training officer of the second marine division and he was promoted to lieutenant colonel in august 42 in mid 1943 shoop was transferred to the transfer to the staff of major general julian smith commander of the second marine division and tasked to help plan the invasion of betio on tarawa atoll he was tasked with drawing up initial this is funny he was tasked with drawing up initial plans uh, designating landing beaches. He was an ops officer. So designating landing beaches on Betio for the 2nd Mar Marine Division and overseeing some rehearsals. Uh, however, after Colonel William Marshall, commander of the 2nd Marines, suffered a nervous breakdown before the invasion, Smith promoted uh, Shoup to Colonel and gave him command of the regiment. Said, you're going in. <laughs> it's like, <"Geez." laughs> 
That's I was awesome. just planning it. He's like, nope, get your gear. We're going. <laughs> <clears throat> so uh, the invasion of uh, this island by Tarawa uh, commenced on November 20th, 1943, with Shoop disembarking from the transport USS Zyland. So it's just the one that carried all the, the landing craft. His force met heavy resistance on the beaches. His landing craft was disabled by shore fire. So basically, he had to swim and then walk ashore. Uh, he came ashore around 11 o'clock. He was struck by shrapnel in the legs and received a grazing wound from a bullet in the neck. In spite of wow. these these wounds, he rallied Marines around them and led them ashore to join the initial assault waves, which had already been fighting for like two hours by then. He was able to coordinate the troops on the beaches and organize them as they began to push inland against an anticipated Japanese counterattack. He continuously organized a, a, a attacks on the defenders and was noted for his bravery and vigor during the conflict. Ooh. That's interesting. This guy was very vigorous. <laughs> I'm noting that in my journal. <laughs> on the second day of the attack, he ordered an advance inland by the remnants of the 1st and 2nd Battalions of the 2nd Marines. By the afternoon, Shoup was confident the Marines were winning the battle and reinforcements began to arrive. Uh, he was uh, at 1600. He composed a lengthy situation report to division headquarters, culminating in the phrase, quote, combat efficiency, colon, we are winning, end quote. That's all he wrote. He's like, don't <laughs> worry, we're winning. We're winning. We got it. Uh, that night, Shoup was relieved by uh, Colonel Edson, the division's chief of staff, and for his leadership during the assault and the push inland, Shoup was awarded the Medal of Honor and the British Distinguished Service Order for his role in planning the invasion. He was awarded the Legion of Merit with V device. He was also awarded Purple Heart for the wounds that he suffered. Uh, and just a little fact, six years later, Shoup made a cameo appearance in the movie Sands of Iwo Jima, reprising oh, his big. actions that night on Tarawa. That's kind of cool. That is very cool. Uh, as I, you never hear of his name either. I've just never no, heard of his name. Right, and that's why I started reading it, uh, and I that's why I chose him instead of General Lejeune. Mm. As a major general, Shoup was unexpectedly nominated to become Commandant of the Marine Corps by President uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower at the behest of Secretary of Defense Thomas Gates Jr. To prepare for this duty, this is funny how they do the ranks back then. Prepare for this duty, he was promoted to lieutenant general on November 2nd, 1959. Then, uh, a couple months later, on January 1st, 1960, he was elevated to general. They just gave him four <laughs> stars. They're like, there you go. You're the man. You're the man. Uh, <laughs> upon assuming the post as a 22nd commander of the Marine Corps, he would later serve under the administration of John F. Kennedy uh from 61 to 63 uh and then the administration of johnson in 63 he he retired in 1963 but before he retired as he was a commandant his outlook on the cold war conflicts and this is what's funny because this is what we were just talking about shoop's outlook on cold war conflicts was greatly influenced by his upbringing and he was frequently an opponent of military action against the soviet union shoop opposed military action against cuba Warning against any attempt to intervene militarily against Fidel Castro. Shoup wow. later warned against an armed response during the Cuban Missile Crisis 
noting how mm. difficult it would be to invade the country. Uh, later, Shoup was strongly opposed to military intervention in Indochina from the beginning. Indochina is Vietnam for all those security forces out there. <laughs> uh, though Shoup was asked by Kennedy to stay on for a second term as commandant, uh, dis- even despite their differences over Vietnam, he declined. And in December 63, uh, a month after Kennedy's assassination, Shoup retired from the Marine Corps. However, after he retired, he came out against all the anti, uh, he came out against the military machine. He came out against Vietnam. Uh, he had yeah. a whole bunch of quotes about the military industrial complex funny that we're talking about that 60 years later and he was saying right. that earlier like smedley did yeah. uh and like all those other guys did they all yeah. spoke out about the military industrial complex right yep Bowler uh, did too yeah 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 so shoop a career marine trusted confidant of president john f kennedy and a recipient of the nation's highest award for valor will go on to become an outspoken critic of what he saw as rising militarism in america fueled by the defense industry and career officers and buoyed along by a citizenry that was enamored with war stories and tales of heroism. Jeez, it sounds like he's talking about just today. You know, sounds like the same thing he's talking about today. Because he says he has some quotes about there. War justifies having a war department, justifies having a military. So it's this big cycle that just keeps feeding itself. Yeah, and all the money that's involved with that. So, uh, so that's uh, General David Monroe Shoup, who was my nomination nice. for the All Military Marine General. So, let us know in the comments who you vote for: Chesty Puller, Smedley Butler, or Smedley David Butler. Shoup. And Chesty, we will announce the winners next week. <laughs> Uh, so what do you think? End of the episode, index or end up? So let me screw that up. End up. End up. On behalf of all of us here, I'd like to thank you for listening today. Please like, share, subscribe, and let us know how we did in the comments. And as always, make sure to download the next episode for more service headline news. Man, thanks for the week, and I'll see you next week. Good night, guys. Have a good one. All right, guys. We'll see you later. And Eric, I am a little disappointed. I didn't get to see your Air Force wings tattoo. Can you truly call yourself an Air Force member? I, from thigh to collarbone. I'm uh, gonna put yeah, it no. from nipple to nipple to, on my chest. chest. From knee to hip flexor. That's what it was. <laughs> nipple to nipple, Baba. Uh, Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week.